0: The size of the backpack has been illuminated. We've seen light flashes going off all over of the place. Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, coming at you live from the guerrilla camp, located deep in the heart of rural northern North Carolina. And I am your host, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia NC Scout. And I am joined tonight by Madman Actual. What's up, brother?
1: Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you, man?
0: Oh, I'm good. I am good getting over, uh, COVID, uh, un, unknown to all of the listeners out there. Uh, I have been battling COVID now, um, getting, just getting out of it. And, uh, it was, it was an interesting ride for sure. Um, but, uh, I am on the upswing out of all of this. And uh, I don't know it, It's I've had some bad colds This one is certainly interesting um, So yeah How about yourself?
1: Uh, you know Working Right now I'm hydrating And uh, cruising the internet On looking at all kinds of fun stuff About this Ukraine nonsense <sighs>
0: yeah yeah you know and and um that's really uh what we're gonna be breaking down because man it is uh there's a lot of interesting pieces in motion right now um but real quick a shout out to the show sponsors got three of them on tap of course right off the top civil defense manual you know if if you don't know by now that things are bad they're only going to get worse from here. Uh, And wouldn't it be nice if you had a two-volume set to help you get you and your neighborhood protection team, your mutual assistance group, what have you, getting them squared away. And this two-volume set does exactly that. The communications chapters was uh, written by yours truly, and I wrote it with the express purpose of... You being able to read it, digest the information, and use it. And, you know, there's nothing in there that's going to cost you a whole lot of money. And, you know, it's, it's all in layman's terms. You definitely don't have to be an electrical engineer to understand all that stuff. And there's a lot of great material in there that is written from that everyman perspective. So definitely go check that out. Civil Defense Manual. Next on the list, my good friends over at Blacksmith Publishing, Mike Blackburn and Paul LeFevre. A couple of special operations legends, guys who have really been in the fight for a long time. Um, Both of them small unit tactics course instructors for the U.S. Army Special Forces Qualification course. And they wrote the book, literally. The U.S. Army Small Unit Tactics Handbook. You need to go out and get it. The links are going to be down below. they got a lot of other really great books, too. Right now, I am thumbing my way through a land navigation manual that they have published uh, that was written by a former SF guy. Very down and dirty basics of land navigation written from a practical perspective It's not going to take you long to read and digest through this one. And it is a very, very well done handbook. So I think that you should add this one to the mix as well. It definitely gets a go from my end. All right. That's Blacksmith Publishing. And you can check out the link down below. It'll take you to the Amazon page. You can check them out at home as well on uh, uh, blacksmithpublishing.com. Last on the list, a very good friend of the show A fellow blogger, a writer, Joe Dolio, we're going to have him back on Radio Contra this week, trying to get him on either on uh, Wednesday or Thursday, get him lined up for another kick-ass interview. But his site, Tactical Wisdom, and his three handbooks that he has written out there, not expensive common man, uh, very basic lessons that he drew off of his time in the Marine Corps as a global war on terror vet, and Iraq veteran himself wrote uh, a very, very well done series of manuals. And it's from a biblical perspective as well. Uh, So he is very outspoken about his faith. He's a good Christian man. And I really, really enjoy every conversation that I have with him. Anyhow, uh, enough for all of that. You know, of course, the reason that you're here, Ukraine is, you know, the reason you're listening to this is Ukraine is uh, looking to be popping off in one direction or another. Uh, There's a lot of saber rattling that's coming from NATO. There's a lot of movements that look like they're happening on the confederation of independent states the russian federation and and what have you side and i've got madman actual here who has a uh very substantial background in the intelligence community who's going to be breaking all of this stuff down and we're going to be sitting here kind of analyzing some of the pieces and what this means so anyhow brother um you know we were talking about just before coming on air that there's you know a, a lot of uh osint out there open source intelligence or open source information we should say to be a little more technically correct um in your estimation what do you, what do you see coming down the pipe what do you how do you, how do you break all this down
1: um using osint man it's it's rough to be honest um without having like you know Spooky high side access. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going off of what it could be potentially fake news. So with that said, I don't think this is fake news. I think that there really are, um, what was it? A hundred thousand, uh, Russian troops on the border. So guesstimation, like anywhere between 90 and a hundred I'd say, um, just cause it's like it, really throw a number out there. Um, I'm thinking that I also, and like I said, I have these tabs up here, and I just saw an article, and I probably closed it out like a dummy, but it said that the um, a Ukrainian representative said that the U.S. is premature in its exit, um, pulling people out of its embassies, which I found really interesting. That that they're is. saying that, but we're saying no. They're going to attack, but then Ukraine saying, no, no, no. It, they've been here since 2014. It's cool. So that tells me that either the U.S. is actually poking, wanting Russia to invade, um, or do something, or. Ukraine's just trying to, you know, keep its people calm and and not have them freaking out, burning shit to the ground, which is definitely a possibility. Uh, I would definitely do that if I was Ukraine, be like, hey, everybody chill. Um, You know, the 82nd Airborne's getting spun up, that 8,500 soldiers um, and Johnny Paratrooper, actually, he brought this up earlier. Um, Kazakhstan wasn't that long ago. And that was a really good reason for Russia to mobilize troops. Yep. Um, and I think that's exactly what they did because we're seeing them move. Um, let's see. We got the 36th uh, and the 37th Motor Rifle Brigade in Belarus. And they yep. have some BM-27s. They got BMP-2s, 3s. Uh, which are fighting vehicles? Um, you know, they got some T 72s that are souped up for uh, yeah. modern ish combat. The
0: the BMPs um, are interesting to me. They always kind of have been because they're they're kind of an in between a striker and a Bradley. It's they they were a, a purpose built vehicle for fighting across Northern Europe. That's why they're they're tracked, but they're small. They yeah. have a, a relatively low signature. I'm kind of um, I mean drawing on my special reconnaissance background here, but the uh, you know it, it, the as opposed to a BRDM um, the the BMP2s are are uh, they're pretty neat little vehicles, man.
1: They are and I'm looking at a picture of one now and I see two guys coming out of the turret. You're only fitting like maybe four guys in that thing. And that's like, man, they're yeah. not the butt. <laughs> like they, they don't have yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot of wiggle room in that thing. That's a small vehicle. Yeah.
0: They um, it's really interesting because our the whole the whole concept of the Striker Brigade combat team really came out of observing what they did. Um, before that, like we we kind of had it, we kind of had it pretty rigid. Like we had a, a rigid. Uh, combat team structure in at least in the uh, in the conventional side army where you had um, you know you you had your your airborne units you had air assault that really kind of got some traction in the late 80s because before that you had air mobile units and that became air assault and then you had mech and it was um, you know you, you had motorized infantry and and mech but they, it was all kind of intermeshed into to mechanized stuff. And, and there really wasn't any... They, like We didn't really have an order of battle that was analogous to what the Russians were doing with their motorized regiments. And so I always right. thought that was kind of fascinating. Um, one of the ones that you mentioned is also very significant, not because of its role on the battlefield necessarily, but because of its lineage Um, the Russian army is really interesting because a lot like their American counterparts, you know, they have a lot of uh, they draw on a lot of history, but it's really deeper than it is like, you know, man, like when we were deploying and we would have a deployment ceremony and they would talk about the history of the unit that's deploying and they would case the colors, you know, and they would do all that. Like, that's significant but at the same time it's like, ah, whatever but to the yeah. Russians man the, the big scheme of things them moving specific units is is significant in and of itself because they, they have uh, special characteristics that or special designations rather whenever you see guards as part of a unit title, it means that is a honored unit. It's been bestowed with the highest honor uh, upon it. So they, when you're talking about things in yeah, nationalist perspective, yeah, man. When when you're you're talking about that from a nationalist perspective, it's like you're you're carrying the pride of your country on your shoulders. You know, we don't. Right. And I don't know. You know, it, it might just be me, but I never really got that feeling, man. Each time I deployed, it was like, okay, you know, we're deploying. You know, but that's long and short of it. Like, fuck, we're going to go to Iraq for another year. (laughs) Like, okay. And then, like, okay, now, you know, now I'm going to Afghanistan, whatever. But it wasn't like I'm carrying the pride of America on my shoulders, you know?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I was in an intel unit, and we were actually – the unit I deployed with was – constantly forward deployed. Um, so we always had, a, um, two battalions deployed at any given time. And, you know, I, I definitely get you on that. Like I knew more about my basic training unit and the history behind that than I did my actual unit when I deployed. <laughs> so, you know, it's the Intel world's kind of, kind of weird like that. Um, yeah, yeah, like we, you know, we had some cool stuff. Yeah, in y'all
0: The all <laughs> Yeah, we
1: the, had the, cool gizmos, the, but other than that, uh, you know, the unit's always changing. Like when I got the Fort Hood, man, I went through three unit patches in like a week. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, your first <laughs> cab. Oh no, your twenty-first air cab. Oh no, you guys are just an MI battalion. It's like, yeah. Uh, all right, well, I'm just I'm just gonna be a slick sleeve till you guys figure out which patch I should go by.
0: God, I'm just um, going to show up in a, in a polo and khakis today. No, uh, <laughs> nah, we weren't that cool. <laughs> um,
1: so, um, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't seen – now I'm going to have to look that up to see what um, other units are, are getting put on the border and everything. But yeah. one thing that really concerns me the most is – the false flags that and the cyber attacks that have been going on in Ukraine. I'm sure everybody's yeah. seen the um, screenshot of the government computers like with the warning that I definitely could not verify because I don't speak the language, definitely can't read it. Um, but everything I'm seeing, like right now I'm looking at an article on uh, AtlanticCouncil.org. Um, they're talking about... You know, false flag reports of explosives or mines planted in schools, malls, airports, stuff like that. And that seems to me like they're trying to confuse everybody and get the um, first responders, I guess, the emergency services. They're trying to get them whipped up and not know either stretched out, you know, to where they can't actually react to anything efficiently or they're going to get them so confused. And, you know, they're going to think it's another false flag. Um, Yeah. When it, it may not they be, they just
0: get burned out to it. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, exactly. We're it's not like... going to rush to this because it's 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 probably just another uh, another false alarm. And then by the time you get out to it, it's you know it that one that actually is real, man. Um, yeah, you know, and and we we experienced that too not that long ago here in the states. It was a group of, of young adolescent kids. It was like one or two of them that uh, spread around a hoax. What was it? Was it on Snapchat or Instagram? One of those where I they were. Uh, the, uh, the
1: they TikTok. call it the
0: bomb threats.
1: Oh, yeah, that was Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. Well, then there was just recently, like two weeks ago, um, you know, I dropped my kids off at school and there was like five squad cars in the uh, parking lot. And I was like, you know, where I'm at. Man, we got like five squad cars patrolling the whole damn town. Like, why are they all all at the middle school? What is going on? Yeah. And turns out there was something on TikTok about um, the whole country. There might be like school shootings, so naturally they, you know, they they reacted to it. But you know, that's small right. scale compared comparatively to what's going on in Ukraine. But it's it's a real thing, and man, the cyber attacks are gonna be huge in this, I think. um, Russia's got a... They've got a pretty good setup, and I think we've discussed this before. Maybe it was on Sons of Liberty. Um, They like to hire out the cyber attack help. Um, They don't use their own government computers. They're not stupid. Um, You know, they hire, I guess, Anonymous to to name like a big, like a well-known one. Groups like that. Maybe not exactly Anonymous, but Hacker groups quote unquote um, they hire them out because these guys are the jerks that are stealing granny's social security number after she dies they're collecting you know 20 social security checks and making like 30 grand a month off of it and they just bounce around and by the time we find them you know we show up and, and it's an empty shack or it's a hotel room or it's you know Whatever you can think of, it's just, but the guy's not there. Um, so that that's how they roll with the cyber attacks. And that's why it's so incredibly hard to track. And I think they're going to use a lot of uh, cyber warfare on this one before they move in. Because they want to weaken the infrastructure, obviously. Um, right. You know, you don't have to exactly be a military strategist to figure that one out. Um, oh, no. And yeah, man, I, it's that. And yeah, if we start seeing a lot of cyber attacks, you know, that that's when, cause right now I'm not freaking out about it. You know, uh, it, it's just, it is what it is. But when I start seeing a lot of cyber attacks and I start seeing a lot of reports of missing drones <laughs> over yeah. Ukrainian airspace, cause, um, the way that works is when they lose link, they immediately go to maximum altitude and they do like, I don't want to talk out of my ass too much, but it's something like a two nautical mile orbit or like a really small little orbit. So they don't take up too much airspace. Um, right. And you know, we're probably going to have a stack of them over there. So if I start seeing missing drones or like drones collide midair or, you know, anything remotely close to that, that's when I'm going to be like, okay, They're starting to get rid of the eyes in the sky without having to shoot them down with missiles. Um, You know, they're going to mess with the connection. They're going to jam the frequency X, Y, Z. They're going to do something or they might actually shoot them out of the sky with missiles. I don't know. But, you know, I don't want to put anything past Putin. He's kind of crazy.
0: Um uh, you know, I mean, I mean, honestly, though, he's he's acting no differently than we would be. Uh, oh yeah. If, if we had someone sane in in the White House, you know, it, it would be it, it would be the same story, and we would expect it to be. Um, unlike allowing foreign drones to surveil critical petroleum assets on the border, uh, like the Kinder Morgan incident, or selling. Um, private ranches with uh, not one but two heavy cargo capable runways uh, down in del Rio, Texas uh, yeah. to foreign Chinese generals it, it's it's not like anything like that, I'm sure yeah, uh, you know, but now you're exactly right when it comes to uh, with talking about drones and you know I only know it from the end user. And kind of digesting the, the S2 that we were given, particularly about the time that I ran, um, took that one drone. I forgot which model it was, uh, the one that was flying, and they, they gave it – they interrupted the feed and gave it the uh, – spoofed the command. You yeah. got it to land. Um, but there's – the Russians were the ones you you got to remember man the Russians were the ones that piloted that ability and were, oh, yeah. were definitely I mean the the GRU was all over that operating in Iran while we were in Iraq. I mean that 100%. is 100% they were all over it they were all um, over it with Pakistani ISI um Which it's my understanding that their relationship is kind of frosty these days. Um, They because ISI warmed up to the Chinese quite a bit, but uh, that we could have a whole other conversation about that. You're exactly right regarding the drones. um, And for all we know. To be fair, all we know this could be going on right now, and we just haven't really got wind of it yet. But I would think though, if they were able to bring down an American drone, Pravda would be exploiting that to the fullest.
1: For sure, um, that I think that boils down to timing. Um, you know, I don't want to try to get in the head of a Russian general because that's not my uh, that's not my lane. Um. Yeah, the drones, I, I know we're going to be using them, and I think I saw on, um, I can't recall the video, but it was one of the guys that monitors air traffic control, and I saw an MC-12, and for those of you who don't know, that is a Beechcraft King Air, which is a manned aircraft, um, like a twin propeller, uh, that's what I flew, flew in. And, it, you know, it's it's used for a lot of things, but one of the things it's used for is ISR. Um, so, you know, that's got the, the imagery capability. It's got the signal capability. Um, it's got some other stuff. But those are the two big ones that it's used for, usually uh, by the U.S. military, at least. Um, and the manned aircraft are preferred because uh, there's a little bit of a delay with the drones. Like, uh, when I try to explain it to people... You know, we always talk about thirteen hours because that movie's awesome. Um, yeah, one of the lines in there is like, "Yeah, tell us I ISR that we knew that five minutes ago." They're pretty much useless. That's because it was a <laughs> drone, and you know, the drones looking at it, and then that feed's got to go to a guy on the ground in wherever, and then he's got to analyze that and then put it into a chat so he can get on the the other guy can get on the radio and then tell the guy on the ground as where yep. a manned ISR asset. I had a radio. I had, you know, we had our computers. We had the camera. You know, we had the whole crew on board. We had radios to the ground. There was like <laughs> next to no delay.
0: Oh um, man, you, I'm grinning so. ear to ear right now because this is bringing back some fun memories. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, fun no.
0: memories.
1: That was the best job I've ever had.
0: How how do you know that he has a weapon in his hand? Our feed can't get pid. Well, I'm looking at it <laughs> effing scope, and that looks an awful lot like an AK to me.
1: Yeah. Uh, sometimes the uh, I don't know, somebody didn't clean the camera lens off or something, I don't know. Yeah. It, it To be fair, it, it is kind of hard because they don't give you the biggest screen in the world, and uh, no. you're kind of bouncing around a little bit, so it is kind of hard to figure out little stuff like that. But, yeah, I hear you. That was kind of a pain in the ass when you guys were asking for pertinent information. We were like,
0: Duh, we don't know. <laughs> it's
1: like, <you> know <laughs> I can imagine that probably gets pretty frustrating
0: or, you know, like, like you have a copy of the GRG sitting in front of you. Um, Cause we, we would give the, the drone operators would get those. Um, right. they, they would come across over sipper. And so for all the listeners out there, you're wondering what we're talking about. A GRG or a ground reference graphic or a grid reference graphic, um, it's, they, they are referred to different ways. But a GRG is essentially an overlay of your target. And so say, like, you've, you've got a village or a clump of buildings or whatever they're numbered, and um, you can look at that from, you know, whatever angle you're at and know, you know, your azimuth that you're looking at it from, right? And you, you just have the buildings numbered off. So that way, if, you know, I am engaging a target, I could say, you know, like I'm on the South side of building one and you as ISR guy are looking at it and like, yeah, you know, you've, you've got squirters or hostiles who are exiting the building from the opposite direction. They're going North. And, you know, I would direct, Know my support by fire or another team or whatever to engage them from that direction, you know. And I've got stories where they were confused, like, we would give them the GRG and they wouldn't, uh, <laughs> they'd be like, Well, which way is north? Uh, which building is north? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's <laughs> uh,
0: I could kill you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. Some we had to make a couple changes, but. Because we had the same problem. I didn't get a GRG till like, God, I got there in May. Yeah, I think it was, like, July before I actually got a GRG, like, pre-wheels up. Ooh. Uh, yeah, it was rough, man. And then once we Ooh. finally figured out, like, that was the standard, I was like, see, this makes sense. Because, uh, yeah, I'd be hearing on the radio, like, what's going on in the south side of, yeah, building two? And I'm like, uh,
0: <laughs> which one's building two? <laughs> <laughs> it's this the third mud hut from the left. Come on, you were well, in the then, briefing. Then they, just, <laughs> then they just
1: hit it with their IR lasers, and we'll be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, we got it now." Thanks, pal.
0: <laughs> Dude, it, it's going to be a whole different animal. You're talking peer on peer. You know, like like both of our experience was dealing with an insurgency. And counterinsurgency is a whole different animal than when you're talking about linear warfare. Like we're going to have to and I really hate to say this because I shudder to think about it, given what I've seen out of the contemporary military um, and more importantly, who's leading it. But they're going to have to dust off the Cold War playbook of linear warfare, of third generation warfare, of you know, like what like what the guys were training on back in the days of, you know, the fold a gap plan and and all of that, like that's that's gonna make a big comeback.
1: Yeah. Which ironically, you know, when I went through basic training, that was uh what, twenty ten, um, we were still learning most of that. You know, the the coin stuff we didn't really get until that was pre-deployment training, you know, when we were at our unit, our bait, our basic combat training, we were still, yeah, we were still doing, you know, straight out of the book, cold war peer on peer conflict. Um, you know, obviously our drill sergeants were all like GWAT guys from Iraq, um, you know, Iraqi invasion and, and the following years. But so, you know, they gave us some pointers knowing that we were all going to deploy to the Middle East, but yeah, um, our doctrine started to change uh, from what I understand in basic training. You know they really were heavy on the counterinsurgency stuff, which is coin for those of you who don't know it's counterinsurgency. Um, right. And yeah, I think a lot of our basic training kind of switched to that um, which I'm hoping that was like an overstatement. Um, and it didn't fully go because, you know, the idea that we're only going to fight insurgencies ever again is just like idiotic because uh, clearly it's, it's potentially going to happen right now that we're going to fight um, a peer to peer or at least near peer because um, Russia's got a lot of good stuff. Don't you know, yeah. they uh, and
0: they they've
1: got just as good military equipment as we do. Despite what oh. you see, you know, those old trucks oh. that you see rolling across the bridges, that's just for the camera. They're like that's, they use yeah. they use those trucks, but they have modernized vehicles that are way better than those old Cold War trucks that they you see on the news.
0: That's the stuff that they expect to get blown up. Like exactly. they, you, you don't flood the battle space with your A-list first. Like, that's kind of... Yeah, you said the poems
1: first. You don't right? You don't throw your night out there to get smashed.
0: But, you know, the important thing to bring up, too, is, like, all the people out there who all of a sudden became military experts that, you know, never put on a uniform and never seemed to have any interest in this stuff before. And, it, you know, to be fair, too, I'm amazed at all the leftists out there that all of a sudden, uh, you know, they... A decade ago or even less, they were like, no, no blood for oil. And now they're like, yeah, we're going to go take down Russia. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, well that's because they I got, got brainwashed to hate Russia. Yeah.
1: You know, they they heard Russia collusion for freaking five, six years straight. You know, it's like.
0: Just idiots, No wonder, man. No wonder
1: everybody hates them all. But yeah, I mean, that's and that's but, the problem I'm seeing, too, is like the irony of it all of you know go figure that china hasn't been mentioned once but yeah you know, biden's got these uh you know old boy's got his fingers all in ukraine and Where now we're going, go? potentially going to war there um which <laughs> i actually have an article here on uh zero hedge uh Biden family made $31 million from individuals with quote, direct ties to Chinese spy apparatus.
0: Um,
1: I thought that was an interesting one. And that was actually today. That was Tyler Durden. He, he, uh, he posted that today. So it's, it's weird how like these headlines pop up and we're like, everyone's solely focused on, uh, Ukraine. So, you know, this could be a giant distraction. Um,
0: I, I think it's, maybe. I
1: think that shooting's going to start though. I think it's going to be a big ass distraction. Um, we'll see where it goes from there though. Cause I, I, I can't, I'd be, you know, throwing darts in the dark, <laughs> uh, trying to tell you whether it's going to last a long time or not. You know, it's already been going on since 2014, but yeah. as far as a linear with the U S and uh, Russia, Man, that, that's a hard one to tell because we, we got to look out for China going into Taiwan. We got to look out for the Middle East firing up because I know Israel's been itching to blow Palestine off the map. Yeah, you know, and
0: got... Yemen. Yemen was Yemen. popping off today.
1: Yeah, UAE intercepted it, which turns out we actually did. Uh, we knocked out two missiles flying. No, nah,
0: no way.
1: That's, that's what we'd, I
0: heard. No, UAE totally did that.
1: Well, With Raytheon
0: I mean, technology, <laughs> <laughs> this country according. is sponsored by Raytheon. <laughs> no, I think uh, it's oh, here, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, how much? How much do they have invested over there? Oh, you know God, that? Know. A lot. Oh,
1: I want to look it up, but I might vomit, so I'm not going to. Yeah, it. yeah, man,
0: it's, it's your tax dollars. I don't <laughs> <pay>
1: taxes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Like you can't. get not my tax on I don't pay taxes, so uh, I'm just you kidding. can't make me. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, um, right, go ahead.
1: Oh no, you, you're you're good. You, I've been talking. So I was gonna like say, um, minutes.
0: the the one thing where I was going with all that with Russia though is is the one thing that people seemingly have missed all of the pundits have missed all of the uh, so-called war experts and all this crap. What these people have missed is the amount of uh, advancement that the Russians and the Chinese as well, but primarily the Russians have put into electronic warfare. And this is something that I know, you know, a substantial amount about. It's something that, the army, the navy, the air force is still trying to play catch up on. Um, I know for a fact, despite what any of the Pollyannas will tell you out there, and uh, you know, I put that story up about the uh, the Russian 4AA sub surfacing off the coast of uh, the east coast of the U.S. And there was it. What was funny to me was the number of Pollyannas that were in the comments. That were like, But this is a Pravda story, so it's got to be fake. (laughs) Unlike our media. (laughs) You know, and then there's another guy who was like, well, let me remind you, we have 12 ballistic SSBN subs that can be anywhere in the world. And like, yeah, look (laughs) at who they're led by. And well, actually, we have 11 of them now because one of them just crashed into something in the Pacific. Exactly. So um, and they're putting a... women into the submarine fleet, which is going to be uh, every bit as detrimental to the effectiveness of the the uh, the silent service as it looks like it is going to be. It, it's going to be a complete disaster. You know, so. the, the, the Russians have put so much money into electronic warfare. And we're still sitting there trying to figure out all of the ways that they have uh, really outmaneuvered us in that regard, and done it very efficiently. We throw a yeah. bunch of money at a problem and don't really come up with a real solution because the the Mick knows that they have to keep creating new problems in order to keep getting a paycheck. It's a self-licking knife. Yeah, exactly. The Russians if are doing their it,
1: job; they wouldn't have a job,
0: right? the Russians are looking at it like we have to defeat the West. So we have an actual objective behind what we're doing, but on the electronic warfare front, how bad do you think it's going to get?
1: Um, man, I, I think we're about to find out how behind the curve we are because, you know, it's funny you bring the sub, uh, the submarine crash up. Um, I know that, you know, there, there's been the Navy commanders or, are stupid and idiots and yada yada i've got a feeling it's more of a th- it, it's a conspiracy theory um i think that that's what they're releasing and i think that's actually a result of russian elect- and chinese electronic warfare destroying the navigation systems and they literally can't see where they're going um that, that's, that's what the i've said for I've a gonna, while now i've Maybe that's where I got the idea from. I think I have heard you say it before, but I, I think yep. that might be more so than, you know, they don't put idiots command in command of submarines. You know, they might, get, they might put them on a little tiny uh, boat or something, but they're not giving them a sub. Um, right. So, you know, that's just one example. I got to tell you, electronic warfare is way more than just the collecting and tracking signals. It, I mean, you're like you can literally control someone's army with it. I mean, if you get in to their systems, to their communications network and you blend right in, you can give orders, you know, the way some of these systems work, you can give orders to units and make them go the total wrong way. Um, you know, when you, when you want them to go North and you see them going South, it's like, what are you doing? And then, they have no idea because they, that's the orders they got, or at least that's the transmission that they got. Um, Yep. You know, voice voice identification and they, they, they've got some wild stuff, you know, they can mimic voices pretty well uh, with a freaking computer. And I guarantee you, most of our commanders are talking on unsecure phones and the Russians aren't stupid. They know who the big time commanders are. Um, It wouldn't be all that difficult and not only that, but like I said, the cyber attacks, they can shut down anything they want. And, and this goes down to even like, you know, Ukraine's got, what here, uh, four, four years of oil left if they don't um, import or export anything. And Russia has, uh, let's see, 60. <laughs> so you're talking, you know. And the, and the U.S. only has five years of oil left if we don't import or export anything. So, you know, and that's just, again, that's one little tiny sliver of the pie that how Russia could make this go their direction pretty easily. Uh, and that's yeah. without firing a bullet. You know, they could really do some damage. And I, I think they're probably going to do that because they're not stupid. Russia doesn't have... Um, they don't have that big of a military compared to the U S they're not dumb and, and they know we have a lot of firepower and we know how to use it. So I think they're going to use more electronic warfare than anything else. Um, you're going to see a lot of electronic systems go down and you're going to see some, uh, uh, how do I put it? (laughs) Hopefully somebody gets their head out of their ass on our side and we do the same to them and, and level the playing field. Because if not, Russia's going to be in the 21st century and we're going to be relearning how to use HF on the job. If they haven't, <laughs> you know, already.
0: I, I think you're I think you are exactly right in that regard. Um, as far as relearning how to use HF, they're trying they are trying. I know both the Army and the Marine Corps have introduced programs to, to try and uh, relearn HF and rebuild the HF capability. And, you know, that's why I cover it in the RTO course to the depth that I do and in the way that I do to kind of expedite that learning. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you, you need to be on HF to really understand how high frequency works, how regional and global over the um, – uh, beyond line of sight, over the horizon communications work. You really need to be doing it on the regular. And um, <clears throat> the Air Force, on the other hand, does utilize HF uh, pretty interestingly and, and very successfully uh, with the, the global HF communications system which anybody can listen to, and they use uh, hard, hard encryption over analog. So whenever you hear Sky King, um, there's, there's a few frequencies out there on HF that any receiver or uh, any amateur radio uh, that operates in HF can listen to. And um, you're going to hear these messages, and they're one-time pad messages. That's how you actually use and utilize one-time pad is for hard encryption over analog. And that's exactly how they do it. The thing is, though, is that they are using that uh, aircraft to aircraft. And so from the ground, at the, the terrestrial level on the ground, it's a little bit more of a challenge. So I know the Marine Corps is trying to bring it back with their, uh, their various radio units they have out there. Uh, and the Marine Corps is very forward thinking on a lot of stuff. The Army, in different ways, is trying to bring it back to... Uh, down at Fort Gordon, I know um, uh, uh, um, retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, David Fielder, who is the kind of the, he is the most well known researcher for near vertical incident Skywave. And he's trying to uh, do as much as he can to bring it back. I mean, the guy is retired, and uh, there's some hams down there that are doing stuff. A lot of the stuff that I wrote early on was aimed at rebuilding that capability as well. Because I do get a lot of dot mill guys that cycle through class. And, um, you know, that that's why I've been stressing it to a lot of uh, preppers and partisans patriot folks out there to get on the ball with HF. You need to get on the ball with HF now because it takes experience to do it right. And, and it is a steep learning curve. You know, it, it's this is this stuff is not easy, but it will pay off in the long run. The more you're doing,
1: yep, yep, that's why I'm coming down uh, next month.
0: Yeah, you're gonna be coming to Tennessee.
1: Uh, I haven't fooled with a with a big boy radio in a while. Yeah, you know, I, I mess around with the Balfang every once in a while, but ah. Oh. <laughs> Other well, that's it.
0: actually that's actually a big part of the class is what to really do with Baofeng UV5Rs, yeah. um, because yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but they, it's uh, they're they're actually for twenty five bucks when they are configured a particular way, they are very very capable little radios. But they oh, yeah. have to be used in a specific manner, um, which I, I teach in class. Uh, but they, they have to be used in a very specific manner. It's it's not like I'm just going to get on there and, and just start BSing um, with anybody and everybody. You know that that's right. really not how it works. And you know I've got a I've got a lot of personal anecdotes of why you don't do that. Uh, of targeted targets that got interdicted and and i know you do too it was your specialty
1: uh you broke up a little bit on my side would you say
0: oh yeah i said um uh you know i've got a lot of personal anecdotes as to why you don't um why you don't just get on there and talk like there's an actual strategy to what you're doing um, because, yeah. you know, your your job was target interdiction, was actually finding the signals, you know, and, and mine was um, once you found them, pointing me in the correct, pointing people like me that had the same job that I did in the right direction.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and it's funny because actually, like, I, I'd say posh too, because that's like, you know, the popular one in Afghanistan. Um, yeah, yeah you know, whatever Arabic and, and, um, dialects of it, the way they speak it, it's kind of funny cause they like have to stay on the radio for quite some time to get their point across. <laughs> it's just like
0: <laughs> the, they speak
1: the language. Yep. Um, so yeah, the longer you're on the radio, the longer somebody's tracking you. Um, yep. that's with radios, you know, uh, other technologies, it's a little bit different, but push to talk radios. Yeah. The longer you're, uh, the longer you have your thumb down on that button, that's just one more millisecond that they're able to get a line of bearing on you. Um lob. So, a lob. Yep. And then we lob a bomb at you. Well, yeah. We're bullying <laughs> either one.
0: <laughs> we get a lob and then we lob one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, I think, I like I said, there's so many variables with this potential fight because, um, like I said, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced it's going to happen. Um, I, but at the same time, I kind of am because I think just the language that I'm hearing from both sides, you know, Russia talking about the countdown begins, um, you know, Biden's, you know, talking on um, and Blinken. Are talking pretty tough language. Um, the UK is starting to pull their people out of embassies. Um, when you start seeing stuff like that, it's like it kind of okay. Well, you know, there's one thing of you know talking smack, but you know, like when I was a bouncer, everybody would say they were going to kick my ass, but you know, the percentage of people that would actually try was like easily single digits. Um, and it wasn't right. until I saw fists getting curled up and shoulders cocked back that I'm like, Oh, okay. This guy is going to try to kick my ass. So, and and right now I'm starting to see shoulders getting cocked back a little bit. Um, So yeah, there might be a fight. Um, And if it happens, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty nasty. It's definitely not going to be, it's going to be controlled, but it's not going to be like polite (laughs) by any means.
0: Oh no, nah. It, well, you know, it, it, my assessment in looking at all this and and kind of how I see it it coming together is I think that um, the language coming out of the White House is very vague on purpose. They're saying you know we're we're going to send troops to Eastern Europe. So the way that I read that is is we know that we, we know a few things. We know uh, one that Biden is is the most unpopular president at this stage in his presidency. He is the most unpopular president perhaps in American history. I mean that that's that's not really up for debate his his historic level of unpopularity. The second I mean, thing sure is that there is a... do I?
1: I so said that's certainly my opinion. I don't know about everybody else. Well,
0: well, no, I mean it. it it's it, it's a fact. It, no, like they, they can't, you can't you take polls like Quinnipiac and uh, uh, AP poll. Some of these that are that are traditionally favoring Democrat candidates anyway, and uh, they can't hide it. They can't hide these numbers, and so the numbers are probably even worse than what they're alleging. I mean, you know, the, the far right. left doesn't like this guy. They openly mock him. You know, he, he's obviously he's, he's not popular with us. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, is that the, the corruption and just the allegations of corruption are on full display here. I mean, there really is no question to the depths of this guy's levels of corruption, his family, everybody around him, the military industrial complex, all of this is, is out on very vibrant display for anybody that's looking at it. So he needs traditionally in America, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but just as, as a student of history, they need a war to kind of divert the, the attention away from stuff. You know, we saw this with, with Clinton directing the air war. And that brings me up to my next point is that now, you know, with, with Clinton, we saw, um, you know, just how unpopular things can get for a president when you have actual dead soldiers in the streets. I mean, it gets it gets bad because it messes with the psychology of the American out there. And we can say too that, you know, that 20 years of, you know, 20 plus years of global war on terror, 20 years ish of global war on terror, we've kind of got desensitized to some of that. But you can't tell me that if, you know, we we start losing entire companies at a time on the ground, you know, an entire company or an entire brigade just gets decimated, you know, like Korea style in in 1948. 1949 where you know you're talking about in, in Korea we lost 36,000 troops in a span of 3 years. I mean that's that's unfathomable numbers and that is a political liability. And so knowing that taking all that into account when they use language like we're going to deploy troops to Eastern Europe that tells me that you're sending it to a NATO ally that would be Poland because Poland is yeah. admitted into NATO, that is a NATO ally. That is considered Eastern Europe, right? So that's where they're going to position. And what you're going to end up having is like this new Iron Curtain that's going to form. And Belarus is being fortified right now. And so that's oh, yeah. that's kind of how I see it. And I could be completely wrong about that. Um, I actually hope wow. that I'm not wrong about that because this is the most peaceful outcome i see coming yeah. out of this
1: but there's going to be regime. with that assessment
0: yeah they, there's going to be regime change in ukraine though and this is something um i've been talking back and forth with some good friends in the know um who who kind of have a history of, of dealing in that region and and know a lot about it going back a couple of decades some some old hand soft guys uh, special operations guys, and we, you know we've been talking about this, and um, you know one of them didn't really agree with me on the whole regime change in Ukraine, um, but his assessment was was that we're just going to kind of uh, keep poking the bear and Russia is going to be carrying out a lot of cyber war stuff, as you're pointing out, but they're going to be doing it specifically on infrastructure here in the United States. I think that it's going to be a combination of all of the above. I think that we're going to see some major outages of critical infrastructure services very soon, um, such as uh, cell phone infrastructure. Because that's, that's coming under attack pretty regularly anyway, but we're going to see that get hammered. I mean, those, those yeah. guys are going to be getting hammered. Uh, the, the cell phone infrastructure maintenance crews and uh, that crowd's going to get hammered. I think that it, it is not outside the cards to see a lot of our power plants coming under a pretty heavy electronic attack as well to try and disrupt portions of the grid. I think that's going to happen and getting into the dead of winter. You think about, like for example, uh, the, the most recent a uh, blackout in New York city that happened a couple of years ago was a result of a cyber attack. Right. And it, it was a relatively small one. It was just a couple of years ago. It was like 2019, maybe 2018, 2019, um, 2018. 2018. Yeah. That was a cyber attack. And people have been warning, you know, yourself included for a long time now, just how serious this risk is and communicating with a lot of other, former Department of Defense and intelligence community guys talking about the risk that this all poses. our interconnectivity of things. I don't think it's outside the the big scheme of maneuver to see that, but Ukraine is definitely going to get a new government that's favorable to the Russians. Because we... Go ahead.
1: Oh, I, I totally agree. I'm glad you brought up the um, domestic. I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I figured it would come up in conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if Russia's going to use the, their military at all, um, they're going to need to distract the United States. Um, you know, because whether... Anybody knows or not, if we're actually going to, like you said, we could just be sending guys to Poland and creating a new Iron Curtain, which I think is probably the likely thing that will happen, but nobody actually knows that for sure. So they're going to need a way to distract us. And like you said, I mean, it, I just, um, you just posted a Vigilance Elites video about our power grid and how susceptible it is and how easy yep. it would be to take down most of the United States. Um and in my area, I can tell you there's probably maybe 10 to 15% of people have wood-burning stoves. Everybody else is on uh, gas or just yeah. electric, um, central air. And that would, you know, it gets freaking cold up here, man. Yeah. So, and, you know, not having any lights, our cell phones aren't working, like, you know, we, we can't do anything. So... I agree with you on that, and I definitely, um, I definitely agree that Belarus is going to be used as part of an iron curtain type thing.
0: I mean, it makes the most sense, you know. Putin, Putin is not an idiot uh, but any, any stretch of the imagination, and he is a guy for any other criticism. I, you know. I was talking about this on um, a podcast with uh, Mike Blackburn and, and Paul A. Favor uh, called the Pinelander, and, and that interview is going to be coming out on the fourth of February. So, unfortunately, it might be a little dated by the time it airs. But you know, I said this on there uh, because we were kind of having the same conversation. Is uh, I'm no fan of. Putin, the Russians, whatever. I, I do respect the fact that the man acts in the best interest of his nation, and I would like for that to happen out of American leadership. That was what propelled Donald Trump to the presidency, and at least it seemed like in the first couple of months of his presidency, he was pretty serious about that. Something changed. There was a lot of things behind the scenes that could have happened or didn't have. We don't know. Uh, wasn't there? I don't know. But it would be nice if America got that kind of leadership. And I, I'm i very willing to bet that it, the vast number of Americans want that as well. So that's something to be admired. The guy is not going to send his military in to a meat grinder. They're not no. going to do that. You know, one of the things to to understand about Putin is that – his first rise to power in the late 1990s, when he came to power, Chechnya was out of control. Chechnya had won the war against the former Soviet army, the, the newly rebuilt Russian military. It was really, uh, you know, they're, they're, they were in bad shape. It was the remnants of the Red Army, whose most recent war had been in Afghanistan, and the Chechens won. And so this was a major blow to Russian hegemony, to the legitimacy of Moscow, of the Duma, which is their uh, parliament. This was a really big deal. This was a blow to the ego of Russia. And so you've got this old hand KGB strongman who came up through the ranks the hard way. Dude's a tough guy. He says, nah, you know, I'm not going to put up with this. And they came up with a new strategy. And that strategy was to, it, that was after, you know, they, they granted Chechnya autonomy. And the same Chechen rebels who had um, built their own government there started attacking Russian bases, bases in Dagestan. And so Dagestan is, is uh, just to the west of Chechnya on the map when you're looking at a, a map of the Caucasus. And you've got Georgia and Azerbaijan that, that border it just to the south. So they were attacking it. And then, you know, you, you had uh, the uh, Budovanovsk uh, hospital siege. I probably butchered that, but, you know, I'm not too too big on, on the Russian language. I'm not on the up and up on my Russian. But um, anyway, you, you, you had that. You had the Dubrovka Theater incident. You had the Beslan School Massacre, and, and they said enough is enough. You know, we're not dealing with this. We're not dealing with the radical Muslims that are uh, infesting the Caucasus region, which they were. You know, it wasn't that the Russians necessarily, the first time around, they were at war with the people of the Caucasus, But the second time around, they weren't. They were at war with Ibn al-Khattab who was uh, the International Brigade Islamist's commander. He kind of laid the groundwork for what al-Qaeda would become after that. Uh, Ibn al-Khattab is a kind of an interesting character, too. But uh, and, and he was at least partly funded by the United States as well. Uh, I've got a couple of references over here on the, uh, the book Wall of Knowledge. Uh, Fangs Ooh. of the Lone Wolf by Dodge Billingsley. Um and my jihad by Akhil Collins and uh, go definitely go check both of those books out if if you know you, you want to learn more about what was actually going on in Chechnya but here you know you had a new strategy Putin knew that he had to make reforms to the Russian army at the small unit level and so what they did was they rebuilt their NCO corps because they didn't really have a strong NCO corps they had a top down leadership model officer to junior enlisted and you really didn't have a middle ground in there like we do here in America.
1: Yeah. They, they just had like the commissar.
0: Right. You so know? he looked at the, the American model and said that that actually works and that's a good idea. And so they implemented those reforms. They went back into Chechnya and they allowed their infantry units autonomy. And what that did, they ended up having all these little patrol bases all over the countryside in Chechnya, and it, it divided the Chechen people from the Islamic rebels and the radicals, and they no longer supported them. Guess who copied that strategy just a few years later? No idea. David Petraeus. David Petraeus' uh-huh. manual on counterinsurgency was a replication of that strategy. That's why we had little patrol bases built all over the place in Iraq. And then we ended up doing it in Afghanistan with the the old combat outpost model. That's what that was all about. That's exactly what that was. We looked at their success and we copied it. And we said that that worked for them. And it did. It worked very well in Chechnya. Now, Chechnya, I think Chechnya is going to have some problems again. Um, maybe we'll see. Um, I'm but... worried
1: about Lithuania because, um, yeah, they were they were kind of our bros in Afghanistan.
0: Uh, yes, they were,
1: and they didn't mess around either, man. Like those guys, those guys did some ballsy missions. Uh, they were not afraid to hike up a mountain and do you know get dirty and hike back down. And then do it again oh, yeah. the next day. Like they they went they went hard, man. So and they're you know, they're just to the north of Belarus. Yeah. I'm really the, interested the, to see where they're gonna fall into this.
0: The Baltic states, uh Lithuania, Latvia, and um Estonia. Estonia, yeah. Sorry, Estonia, for, for all of my two Estonian listeners out there. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to forget you. Um, (laughs) It's just, I don't have any show notes in front of me, so, you know, we're we're
1: doing it live. I'm cheating. I'm looking at a map.
0: Ah, see? There you go. But um, they, uh, I I know that that we've been doing a lot of operations there, uh, foreign internal defense missions, training missions um you know socom has been running a lot of operations there to get those guys up to speed so we're going to see but they i mean they historically have a beef with the russians that goes back uh you know at least to the days of the early days of the ussr and really goes back before that but that's like, that that's where it really oh yeah yeah, yeah i mean it, you know they, they they got a beef with them, but at the same time, that's not our problem. Their their beef with them is not really our problem. And Nord Stream two is really the deal breaker. Where where are you going to get your natural gas from? You know you yeah. this is how you heat, and that's the big thing with Germany, man. That's why the um, the big cheese of the the German Defense Ministry know the their commanding general or maybe he's a navy guy who's an admiral i don't remember because uh, i didn't read too deep into the story other than what he said and he just told the truth he got canned they asked him to fall on his sword because he told the truth and there's a lot of germans out there that are like man you know it's pretty cold here in the winter time where are we going to get natural gas from the americans they they shut off the keystone X L pipeline project they're not exporting fuel anymore. You know, what are yep. we, we going to do? We, we really don't have any other options. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Germany, they don't,
1: uh, they import almost everything as far as energy. So, um, and a lot of it's coming from Russia. So, that's, that's the crappy situation, the part of the situation is that, you know, Russia does have a huge economic upper hand on a lot of these countries, and, um, you know, on top of the electronic warfare that they might be able to throw our way, uh, you know our Southern border has been wide open and, and not to sound too paranoid, but I'm wondering how many sleeper cells we have just waiting to start blowing stuff up around, yep. around the U S you know, like that's a real Bingo. possibility. And that's something that I, I usually don't talk about cause I'm, I don't have any proof, but I mean, you know, we, we saw a whole bunch of, uh, not Mexicans crossing the Mexican border, you know, or yeah, just not from South America or central America. Right. You know, there was a bunch of Africans and <clears throat> uh, this just like all these different ethnicities. And it's like, what, where are these people coming from? Who's and, bringing them and who's bringing them exactly. And it's like, man, you know, like how many trained soldiers are in that crowd?
0: Well, you know? that, and Putin also said, and this came out just last week. So, um, I was – and I'm going to do a podcast on this one. I've refrained from doing it up until now, but it's kind of a scheme of maneuver deal, deal. when um, I was in Florida, and whenever I have a whiteboard in front of me, I just start doing stuff. Uh, but I was breaking down the the kind of the the area study, the, the power differential that's going on in Central America – in South America and how the Chinese are the real power brokers that are wielding influence there. Well, Russia came out and stated, you know, and and the Chinese are the ones doing that. Now the Chinese, the Russians aren't the best of friends. They're not the worst of friends either, but they ain't the best of friends on anything. And right. why is it that Russia came out and said that they're going to station troops, they're going to garrison troops in Venezuela if we keep it up in Eastern Europe. Why did they say that? And then they said, they came out and said right after that, they were going to garrison troops in Cuba. And they made a lot of other moves in Cuba too. If you look at uh, American Partisan, you pull that up, you can go back to 2018 where they canceled the debt with the Cuban government. The Cuban government had a huge debt to the Soviet Union. The Russian Federation canceled that in order to reopen the Lourdes Signals Intelligence Station. And I did an overlay of that station. You can go and look at it from Google Earth images. And now, you know, that's a few years old now. So I really need to revisit that and see what the, what else they have built there. But they've got motor pools. They've got, uh, you know, big barracks buildings. It looks like they've been getting ready to garrison troops there for a while now. And yeah. when we're getting ready to go into a place like we had stationing areas, we had marshalling areas where we would put guys before we sent them into a place. You know, we kept our bases in Kuwait for that reason, that right. we would have units arrive in stages. They would get together. They're ready for showtime. It's about a one week, two week process. And then you sending them north. Right. We did the same thing in Kyrgyzstan going into Afghanistan. You know, we've got uh, places in Manus, you know, where, where we have troops that, that troop movements coming and going, right. That's where I'm going to do the same thing. And, you know, it, it, with your example or or, uh, your point that you're bringing up about sleeper cells, I think you're spot on.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense, you know, like you can cyber attack and, you know, um, that can do some damage, but you know, most of our systems are backed up to some degree. So, you know, you might get us down, but we're going to get back up pretty quick. You know, it might take a week or two, um, to get everything back to normal. Uh, and it'll take months to catch up with, with the, uh, two week downtime. Like, you know, you saw with the colonial pipeline, um, you know, the gas station that my company would fill up the trucks with to get diesel. Um, it we didn't we weren't immediately affected, but you know, two months later, for the first time ever, that that diesel tank was empty. And this is where semi-trucks are filling up. Um and it happened twice in like a couple weeks. So um, you know, there's some aftershocks with the cyber attacks, but you know, if you cyber attack and then you send uh some jihadi dumbass to blow himself up and and some equipment or some infrastructure and, you know, like our power plants, man, like I drive past power plants and there's nothing but a chain link fence in between me and the power plant, you know, yeah. they're not hard to get to. Um, and, you know, we have these big giant power lines that are just running through the woods. Um, it wouldn't be hard to plant a couple of thermite grenades on those and melt them and tip them over. Uh, and then that whole area is without power it's not difficult. Um, and that is the physical damage with, you know, the combined cyber and the actual kinetic attacks, that'd be pretty damning for us. Mm -hmm. And that would put us out of the fight for sure. And then it wouldn't be the, uh, the peaceful scenario of another, um, iron curtain. It would be Russia can just pretty much do whatever they want. And then on top of that, um, you know, Russia doesn't even have to turn it, turn their head and nod to China. China can just be like, oh, well, that's convenient. And then, you know, right. Um, yeah. So that's it, it's a really very real possibility.
0: Everybody is so hopped up on the Red Dawn scenario, you know, oh, we're going to be, we're, we're going to wake up one day and there's going to be, uh, you know, com block paratroopers that are, that are jumping into Colorado, you know, but, the reality is, is that we've already been invaded. We've already been invaded from the southern border. The invasion's happening every day and they are being aided along by the United States government. That is a fact. OK, that that's not up for debate. That's not up for some sort of emotional response. That is a fact. They could shut it down yesterday and they did not. They could have shut it down a decade ago and they did not. They could have shut it down 30 years ago and they did not. Okay. They were willfully compliant in all of this. They had an open door to the South. They allowed the invasion to come in. So everybody's looking at the Red Dawn scenario. And what you said is exactly right. Russia, China, you know, they don't have to physically occupy the United States. That's that that is a fantasy that a lot of people have out there. And yeah, it would be nice to, to go out there, fight the good fight, fight off the reds until, you know, the, the hindy helicopter guns us all down. Right. But, <laughs> you know, point is though, I mean, I, you know, cuddle up next to Jennifer gray at night. Um, <laughs> cool with that. but, but, uh, that movie came out before dirty dancing as well, by the way, little factoid. It was first, Hmm. Dead serious. But um anyway, before I get down that rabbit hole of Jennifer Gray and uh, and the other girl, I can't remember her name. But anyway, um, <laughs> Leah Thompson. There we go. Leah Thompson, because I, I kept thinking back to the future. Leah Thompson. Uh, but anyway, point is though, is they don't have to physically occupy it. They don't have to um you know spill their blood for this soil in order to wield influence because what the Russians actually want is to get rid of the United States as an economic power. They don't, they do not want the ability to have a country levy economic sanctions on them as a weapon to wield influence. They don't want that. You know, they want that off their back. And so how do you mitigate that? You disable their ability to do so.
1: Yep. So, and just and to tag so along with I'm, that, all right, go ahead. Oh, sorry, but yeah, real quick to tag along with that, you know, they don't want to send their troops in because they know that guys like you and I exist. And, you know, I'm not saying I would make it the whole time, but I promise you, I'm making a company of soldiers, I'm giving them nightmares for the rest of their life at least. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and there's a whole country of us, they don't want to deal with that. <sighs> no, nope. they're not dumb.
0: Nah, they're going to let us deal with us. And exactly. that's the thing. There, there will be peacekeepers that get invited in. That's a fact. And they're, they're probably right. going to be Chinese-backed. But that's going to be, for you folks in the West Coast, that's what you're going to have to deal with out there. The Chinese don't have the ability to field troops, nor do they necessarily want to. They're really more worried about pacifying Africa right now. Um, and that's why they've been making gene edited kids to be AIDS resistant. That is yeah, the reason weird. that they've been doing that. Um, because they are trying to rid the the uh, African continent of its native population as well. They want them gone. Uh, so that way they, they don't even have to deal with them. They, they just want to, you know. Everybody in sub-Saharan Africa gone, you you know, or at least reduced to the point that they're irrelevant. That way they can just run roughshod over the you know the population, take all of the assets, all of the mineral wealth. It's exactly what they're doing. It's neocolonialism. So all you folks on the left and, you know, getting your liberal arts degrees, talking about how colonialism is so bad, but that same professors out there wearing a Chinese Communist Party hat and you know, not telling you the truth. That is the truth. If you want to know the truth of the situation, that's it right there. And they're going to be doing the same thing here in the United States, but you're going to have peacekeepers will be invited in, but you're going to have strong men who are propped up as well. I mean, the Chinese have already been doing that. They have been um, propping up candidates. I mean, we see this at the state level. We see this at the federal level. I mean, I think every one of the Democrats has at least one Chinese spy. I don't. I don't think you can be a Democrat and not have at least one Chinese spy on your staff
1: in Washington. Well, hold on. let's be fair. You know, we got Mitch McConnell. We do. Yeah, we well. I was about to say Mitch, to McConnell. Mitch
0: McConnell. Mitch <laughs> McConnell.
1: So it's definitely not a partisan problem. That's uh no. Yeah, like you said, that's a whole system problem, not not to use the word system i think it's overused but i mean it is and the other thing that i was talking to a good friend of mine he was like dude we make you know u.s companies make too much money for for anyone to want them to be destroyed and i was like dude we don't manufacture anything those companies nope. can literally take their ceos and their board members and go to the countries that they're already in which is china yep you know they can they're already gone like they're not actually here yeah sure they have no, a big they're... dumb building with a name on the side of it but like yep. that doesn't mean anything all the manufacturing is gone
0: it's just an empty shell man it's just an yeah. empty shell it's all it is so, and we're not gonna get that back that's the thing like
1: not you, anytime soon
0: no and Americans on un, until until american culture is humbled To the point that it realizes in mass, like there's a lot of good guys out there. There's a lot of good folks out there who know that we, as a nation, you know, we got to straighten some shit out. Right. But until you're talking about 90% of the population realizes, hey, you know, we've screwed up and we got to fix this. it's, It's not it's not going to gain any traction and, and further you're not going to have people who are repatriating um, those, those things. That's why I cringe whenever I hear them talk about jobs, you know, Oh, we created this many jobs or that many, like that's a misnomer. Okay. What exactly you're, you're not, you're creating something that is a placeholder, but what is the longevity here of what you are doing? Because you're not, you're not actually creating something that's uh, and, and the, you know, Obama did this. Trump did this. Biden's trying to do it, but they're not really talking about it anymore because he just can't. Um, but they say, like, the, you know, the, the jobs, the monthly jobs report. Right. And they the, the media really makes it into a big deal. But they're not even doing that anymore with Biden. It, it's just kind of a foregone conclusion. Like this isn't none of this is working. It doesn't have any staying power. Um, so yeah, man, it, it's, it's certainly a, uh, a world that's about to change. And one thing we haven't talked about is the role Belt and Road plays into all of it.
1: Ooh, man. Do I have the article for you, buddy?
0: <laughs> um, yes, sir.
1: I told you, man, I, I have so many tabs open. I closed all the ones that I've gone over cause it was like, giving me anxiety looking at the gajillion tabs I had open. Um, but this one also posted today uh, or published today, Israel and China celebrate 30 years of ties amid U.S. pressure. Uh, yeah, so
0: yeah,
1: right. you know, look at that, you know, and then you got Syria yeah. the other day, you know, signed on to it and yeah, yeah it's just like, seems like all these no people are way. signing on with China.
0: Belt and road <laughs> and, and it's, Russia is a Russia is a player. So for the folks who don't know about Belt and Road, Belt and Road is the modern incarnation of the Silk Road, or at least that's what it's envisioned to be. And it is a it is a parallel system to BRICS. BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And just you know, when BRICS was envisioned as being the replacement economic order for the Fed, uh, which is exactly what it's envisioned to be. So the, the international banking cartels know that the Fed's kind of, um, you know, the, the Fed has kind of painted itself into a corner and the weaponization of sanctions. So, you know, economics, World Economics 101, every country in the world has to buy U.S. dollars from the Federal Reserve in order to buy fuel because fuel oil is traded in the U.S. dollar twice the world reserve currency, and that's what they have to do. That's why when we levy sanctions against a country, we literally can reshape the, the world economic picture, and we can make that country poor overnight if they don't do what we want them to do. That is exactly what weaponized sanctions are. Belt and Road Initiative is placing that power in the hands of the Chinese. And that's they're trying to change the world order, and they're being quite successful at it. And so when you don't hear or you've never heard of Belt and Road before, you need to ask yourself why that is. Yeah, I mean... uh,
1: I just and they don't hide it either I mean there's articles about the Belt and Road all over the place you know
0: American media hides it though
1: Uh, yeah they don't talk about it um, no
0: your average American isn't gonna know anything about Belt and Road because our media is owned by Viacom Disney and Universal
1: mm-hmm yep you know I was talking to my old man about it and he was like, he's like, Belton Road, he's like, oh, and he was talking about a guy he was in the fire department with, um, and man, they were talking about it like 10, 15 years ago, and uh, a bunch of his firefighter buddies were all about, you know, talking about it, and he was like, oh, yeah, he's like, well, son of a bitch, now it all kind of makes sense. I was like, yep.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're going to bring it about, and they're going to take the United States off the world economic stage in order to do it. And that's the big picture. That's what's going on on, on the bigger scale. And so all this kabuki theater in Ukraine, right, that's all part of it, too. Um, but I think I, I seriously think all the saber rattling we're seeing, it's, it's the last gasp of, of a dying empire. And every other person in the world... I mean, think about it too, man. Going back to Ukraine. If you were Ukrainian, let's say like a mid-level government official in Ukraine, and you saw what happened in Afghanistan, would you be at all warm to the United States? If I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm here to help you if those mean old Russians come across the border. Um, And you look at me and you say... Yeah, you cut and run from over there and left your people behind in doing that. I mean, think about that.
1: Yeah, that, you know, people, we as U.S. citizens can can talk about it and agree, disagree, whatever. Um, but on the world stage, yeah, I mean, these world leaders are looking at that and they're like, man, um, you know, you left your own people there uh, and you... We all know, especially former dot mill guys, we know damn right well um, I think j p actually brought this up. He's like, "Dude, if I was in charge, and those Taliban tried to stop us, I'd have an empty bag or like a bag full of newspaper clippings and shove a machine gun in their face, be like, "Here's your payoff or we're blowing you away." Yep. and that's it, and we could have easily done that, but we didn't um for whatever like well, I know why, but Um, you know, yeah, we just turned tail and ran, and it's like, you know, what, what is wrong with this country? That that was my reaction. Um, and that was the world's reaction too. Is like, whoa, what happened to the U.S. man? Like, aren't you guys supposed to be the most badass military on the planet? You know, you're not looking like it.
0: Nah, nah, man. Yeah, you You got kicked out by
1: a bunch of opium addicted idiots with AKs. You know, like, how do you lose to those people? (laughs) I mean, they're smart. I'm not saying they're they're leadership smart, but like their average foot soldier. Yeah. He's just like an opium addicted dumbass.
0: Yep. Can confirm. Can confirm. And and
1: just like, dude, (laughs) we we lost to these people. We just didn't blow them away every chance we got. And that, that was the result. And yeah, if I was Ukraine, I'd be looking at the U S be like, yeah, we're on our own for this one, boys, which is probably why we're seeing those videos of the, the civilian defense force kind of thing being uh, broadcast so much. Cause I'd imagine it's probably actually happening. Like people are realizing like, yeah, the U S is not coming to help us um, no. and they're not going to roll over and die. Ukrainians are pretty uh, stubborn from what I've heard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I don't have personal experience with many Ukrainians.
1: Yeah. So neither I, do yeah. I.
0: The only ones that I've interacted with have been here stateside. So I, you know, I can't say from personal experience, but I got a feeling we're going to know here pretty soon, one way or the other. Uh, Yeah, we're going to find out. I think we're going to find out, man. Well, brother, it has been absolutely awesome. Hour and a half breaking down all of the stuff Ukraine, NATO, Russia, how this is all uh fitting into the bigger bigger scheme of maneuver here and, and you know kind of what we both see coming down the pipe any last things that that you think are is pertinent to put out um
1: i guess a little yeah. morale boosting because i know we just kind of like dropped a bomb on people uh like you know if you're, if you've been reading American partisan and you've been on the brush beater forum and you've been going to get training, um, and you know, you got your food just like, you don't have, to have anything to worry about. Um, or you don't have anything to be afraid of. Um, you know, don't let this like freak you out and make you like go to the grocery store and buy them out. And, um, I, just stay calm. You know, like my dad said, the more insane a situation is, the more sane you need to be because you're going to do something stupid if you're not. And uh, that's all I got, man.
0: Amen. Amen. No, definitely don't panic. It's not the time for that. Uh, Now is not the time for fear, Doctor. (laughs) Not from J.H. Now is not the time for fear. (laughs) there you go (laughs) anyway anyway brother man thank you for coming on with me definitely gonna have you back on uh, probably next week to break down the scenario as it continues to unfold
1: right on man it has been a pleasure and it is an honor to be on here as always And, uh, yeah, man, I look forward to it.
0: Yeah, brother. All right, guys, stay safe out there. Keep yourselves hydrated. Stay prepared. And definitely do better tomorrow than you did today. Figure out a way to improve your position, and that is the way forward. God bless all of you. This is NC Scout out.